All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. Thanks so much for listening to Teacher Talking Time. I'm Andrew here from the Learn Your English team. Mike, Leo, and I are absolutely thrilled to have you here. If you're new to the podcast or to us at LYE in general, first of all, welcome. And second of all, you know, we dedicate most of our time to helping both current and aspiring teacher entrepreneurs overcome those pesky obstacles that get in the way to having your own organic teaching business. By organic, you know, we mean both how you acquire your clients and, of course, how you work with them as well. From niching down to creating your own niche of one to course design, instructional design, and organic pedagogical approaches like task-based language learning, Dogma ELT, if you're passionate about honing your craft, developing as a practitioner, and generating your own online income. Yes, it's all possible. We're happy you're here with us. We have a bunch of free and paid resources to help you out no matter where you are on your journey, and this podcast, of course, being one of them. We also have an entire library of free supports on our website to help you right away, no matter where you are in your teacherpreneur journey. You can find that on the website, learnyourenglish.com. While you're there, help us out and help us help you the best that we can. You know, everyone is at a different point in their entrepreneur journey. So whether you're just starting and thinking about having a business or whether you've already started, but you're still teaching one-to-one, or even if you've made the leap to grow and have already have your own course, shoot us a message, let us know, and we can send you specific supports for your specific situation. You can do that through the website, learnyourenglish.com, or by email, info at learnyourenglish.com. And now with that out of the way, let's get on to today's episode. This is the Teacher Talking Time podcast. You know, questions to ask yourself if you're considering doing this, like, or if you've tried it and you've, you found it challenging, you know, what about it did you find challenging? What was challenging specifically? Was it something that you did? Was it something the students did? Was it something that you didn't anticipate? How did you feel about it? Did you like not having control? Did you like it kind of going off the rails? What I what I don't see a lot of teachers, what I don't see a lot of people doing in the classroom is, is really focusing on, on transferring. Because to me, mm-hmm. transfer is the best way for us to measure the effectiveness of learning. You can learn the present perfect, you can learn how to write persuasively, but can you transfer that into different contexts? Can you, tra- can you make those connections that, you know, a good teacher would expect students to, to make? And it's, it's within that, that simple reflective task that we're encouraging students to notice what it is we're doing in the classroom and why it's important to them. And it's not a mystery, right? Like, like people have studied motivation for ages. Uh, we know that um, the more you can see how something relates or improves your life, the, 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 the transformation, as, as Andrew was talking about, as long as you can see that, the more motivated you are to want to do more of it and to pursue it further. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teacher Talking Time podcast. To those of you who are new, each episode of our podcast is devoted to bringing the most recent, most innovative, and most insightful research applications into teacher education, language teaching, and language education. And if you are also new to our Learn Your English community, I have to tell you more about our Teacher Accelerator Program, which is our online program for teachers all around the world who want to eliminate lesson planning, reach and help more students, teach less, earn more money without, of course, sacrificing work-life balance. Our programs help teachers reflect and develop in the most important skills they need to succeed in the information age. And it's just like your teaching isn't for everyone. Our program isn't for everyone. It's for someone. The program has four pillars of successful design. We have a community. We have live sessions. We have self-paced learning. And more importantly, we have lots, lots of feedback. Does this sound like you? Are you a teacher who wants to 
implement dogme and task-based learning in your teaching? Do you want to eliminate lesson planning? Do you want to help more students, but also work less? Do you want to transition from selling your time, teaching one-to-one, to actually focusing on outcomes and selling results? Do you want to be a business owner and not an employee? And more importantly, do you want to build and scale your teaching business? If this sounds like you, then you have a great opportunity here. Just head over to our website, learnyourenglish.net slash schedule and book a meeting with us. We would love to have a conversation about your current situation and whether we can help you with any of these things. All right, all right. Welcome to another episode of the Teacher Talking Time podcast. And to those of you who are new to this, once again, we are running another series of podcast episodes and we've decided that because we are experiencing a somewhat weird summer this year in Canada, we thought that maybe we could utilize this time to actually talk about a topic that is very close to the hearts of many language teachers, many um, new teachers who are also thinking about trying out different things and eventually become more comfortable with being uncomfortable in the classroom, which is pretty much the essence of this perhaps mindset or teaching methodology or teaching philosophy or or teaching approach. Of course, we are talking about teaching unplugged or dogma ELT, which is basically going to be the topic of this dogma days of summer series that we're putting together. And uh, you're listening to another episode of this. And today, I thought that maybe, uh, Mike and Andrew, we could perhaps talk about something that is Often one of the most common things that I hear from teachers whenever we are running a workshop or whenever we are having conversations about implementing Dogma ELT, which is basically the challenges and perhaps even the potential drawbacks of of actually, you know, dogging me in the classroom. <laughs> um, but it's important to know that when you start using dogma in the classroom, I think what you're really doing is you're creating some sort of a mindset shift because you're focusing primarily on authentic communication and to a certain extent, um, learner autonomy. But it's important for us to say that even the most well-intentioned teacher can still make mistakes along the way and can still encounter potential barriers to implementing this um philosophy of teaching. So I was hoping that in this episode, we could talk about some of the most common barriers, obstacles, or pitfalls to steer clear of when you're trying to eventually implement an unplugged or dogma ELT approach in your classrooms, in your lessons, or even in your teaching program, so as to ensure a more successful and enriching learning experience for both you as a teacher and for your students. So what do you guys have to say about that? Oh, wow. First of all, well, yeah, first of all, I just love, I love the whole Dogme plus um, weather phenomena connection, um, Dogme days of summer. I think we deserve a pat on the back for the title. So uh, please let us know. Uh, no, Leo, I, I think first one for me is control. I think um, uh, teachers, a lot of teachers, they, they like using textbooks. They maybe are, are asked to use textbooks. Um, and they're very, they're very comfortable with this idea of structure. And I think one of their first concerns with dogma is that it, it, it's really hard to, to do it in a way that can be organized or some, that, that it, it's evident to the learners that there's some real opportunities for learning to take place. And I think part of that is us teachers just being willing to give up some control over the classroom. So for example, rather than just um, uh, coming into the class with a specific task with specific outcomes planned, maybe it's more or less about um, having an activity, a topic, a task, or a text, um, and, and seeing what language comes out of it, right, rather than prescribing that all ahead of time. Um, and I think for, for a lot of teachers, that's the hurdle, because they, they like having prepared materials, and, and so do I. I mean, it's really handy to have a clear, um, a clear roadmap for what you want to do in a lesson. But at the same time, if you want to use Dogme effectively, 
it's it's about putting that roadmap to the side, starting with perhaps the the outcome, um, the deep end approach, and working backwards from there. I I think that that for me is a, is a big challenge. Challenge is an interesting word. Um, why is it challenging? You know, questions to ask yourself if you're considering doing this, like, or if you've tried it and you you found it challenging. You know, what about it did you find challenging? What was challenging specifically? Was it something that you did? Was it something the students did? Was it something that you didn't anticipate? How did you feel about it? Did you like not having control? Did you like it kind of going off the rails? You know, I don't I don't think there's a right way to do it. Um, to echo basically what both of you guys have said. Like I, I don't view dogma as maybe I'm outside the box on this. I don't view it as like an approach or something. I view it as like a mindset, a philosophy, a, a decision that I'm going to go in and be, insert adjective here, be flexible, be open-minded, be whatever. Be water. <laughs> be water. I was going to say be the back seat, but... <laughs> like Which is the first step, better. right? And you're, you're talking about, or really, I guess your your main question is like, what, what would teachers find challenging about it? And I guess the answer, the boring answer is like a whole bunch of stuff, because there's a lot of it that's challenging. But if you're listening and you've tried it, like what specifically did you find challenging? Is that something that sparked your interest of like, oh, I wonder how I could do that better? Or did it like derail your entire lesson? And the challenging part for me, I think, in in listening to and having these conversations with lots of teachers and and us, the three of us and everyone, because the dogma movement has taken off or revitalized itself in the last couple of years, which is awesome. Maybe it's a little bit of a COVID baby, right? Coming back again, next generation. But I think we get into the weeds a little bit with dogme means we do whatever. Dogme means we just go with the flow. We, we, the river takes us, be watered, the river takes us down the stream. Don't go into the classroom with prescribed objectives, aims, outcomes, which I agree with, by the way. But there always, for me, needs to be like a bigger goal, a bigger outcome, a bigger aim. On that specific day, yeah, maybe within that framework or scope, we help them where they need help, but not just like random stuff willy nilly. There's there's a reason, there's a thing that they're working towards. You know, we talk a lot with, with business, with creating programs of, you know, what's the ultimate goal? What's the actual, the one big thing that you help students accomplish? And I think Dogme still fits inside of that. It's not just oh, yeah. a random set of activities just because it's the one thing is for a very boring generic an- answer is to get 7.5 IELTS writing. <laughs> That's the goal. Now yeah. within that, there's a whole bunch of things that we can do, but keeping that in sight, I think is, is still important. Number one and is still possible and very possible mm-hmm. using a dogma approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's and funny think, you say that because no, I was going to say a lot of language teaching is focusing so much on, on the what it's always focusing. Like you're going to learn this, but we don't have the follow up, which is which is so you can, so which is something that you always talk about. Like teachers, like for example, you were preparing a lesson, and I was talking to this teacher. like, oh, I'm helping my students write an essay or write a persuasive essay. Great, so that they can what? Because we also don't think about the the transfer. There is a lot of positive transfer. There's a lot of general transfer that can be applied to that or specific transfer in that case. So for example, when we teach us, when we teach students how to write a persuasive essay, there is very specific transfer there. We can transfer that to like, maybe you can actually try to persuade your professor or persuade a colleague to do something. So we, we're not really helping students um, collect the dots when we are just teaching from a textbook, when we're following a very prescribed um approach to language where we're just teaching those grammar McNuggets one at a time. What students are doing is they're just collecting a bunch of dots, but they're not, we're not giving them opportunities to actually collect, connect the dots that they have collected so that they can actually do something with that in the real world. So mm-hmm. as Mike said, flexibility is very important. Um, the ability to be, to, to be able to adapt to the and there's a quote from uh, from Bruce Lee that I was trying to remember and I found it and it was this Mike and I think you can elaborate on this but he said training for strength and flexibility is a must you must use it to support your techniques techniques alone are no good if you don't support them with strength 
and flexibility. And I feel like we, we've 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 had a conversation with with um, Danny and with uh, Richard, and they talked about the emergent muscle, like the emergent language muscle. Mm-hmm. Working with emergent language is very much like a muscle that you have to train as a teacher so you can develop strength in your ability to deal with emergent language and your flexibility to just go with whatever is happening in the classroom. But a lot of teachers just have a bunch of techniques, but those techniques are not good, according to Bruce Lee, if you don't support them with strength and flex- strength and flexibility. Mike? Mm-hmm. No, and, and I would say that it's... As a, as a teacher, you, you don't need to reinvent the wheel when you, when you are building the strength and flexibility, right? So, for example, last week I was teaching uh, email, writing emails of complaint. And I thought, well, wow, like what sort of language is, is, is kind of generated in these sorts of um, emails where you have to write, a, write to someone and complain about something? And I, I realized as I was planning this that there are a lot of noun phrases and noun clauses. Um, in indirect questions in in this style of writing, and I thought, well, how how can I use the students as starting points for this activity? As as Andrew said, knowing that that's my big outcome, that they're at the end of this class, they're going to be able to right. to write an email that's dealing with um, uh, writing a complaint and inquiring about a complaint. Um, so, in order to get there, what are some things I could do? So, we we just started off with talking about pictures of people who had something happen that was wrong with their lives. We had someone looking at a water machine that, or a washing machine that was broken. We had someone um, looking at their cracked cell phone. We had another person who was, uh, who was staring at a parking ticket, right? So we were looking at all of these different things and all of the language Leo and Andrew was coming from what the students had already. But it was just rather than me telling them, here are some words, that we and expressions we're going to use to talk about these pictures. I want you to tell me as much as possible uh, about these pictures. And we just started with some keywords, what the problem was, and we boarded it. And I think, Andrew, going back to what you were saying, and Leo, and this idea of connecting the dots, it's really important that we think about our board work quite carefully when we're using Dogme, because we want to keep all of this emergent language available in some capacity. When Leo and I used to teach, we used to put the words, I remember this, Leo, we used to write down all of the words on the wall of the classroom and keep them there for the entire day so that we could always return to them. And as the students were going through these pictures, they were, they were getting all that we were getting all this rich vocab. Um, and then from there, I asked them, well, what questions would you ask? And we started off with just question form. So, so who would they need to talk to and what questions would they need to ask? And we worked through question form. And then Knowing that they would probably have a hard time with going from questions to noun clauses, I did a dictogloss where I just thought of some common um, common questions that would relate to each topic, and the students dictated them in a pair dictation, and they had to notice um, which ones were nouns and which ones were noun clauses, or, you know, nouns that were started with with uh, began beginning with question words and. We worked through those, and then I asked them, how do you think they might fit into an email? And then they talked about it together, and then we looked at some models, and then they had to finish a gap to one together. And all of those things, you can find those activities in a textbook. The problem is they'll tell you the what, as Leo just said. What we want to do is work work on the the how, and how we do that is, is we train our muscle. And it's starting with a lot of it. A lot of us use pictures to teach vocabulary but we teach the vocabulary. We don't let the students tell us the vocabulary. And with Dogme, it's about this role reversal. I don't care what you think is on the slide. <laughs> You're going to tell me what's on the slide, and I'm going to hopefully be able to link that to the, to the topic. Because someone could have easily said, oh, it's a love letter from her ex-husband. I would have said, oh, okay, well, it could be. But it says here, um, fine on it, right? Like, there. We, we, we just need to direct them. It's up to them to give us the language. And then, and then as um, Richard and, and, and um, you were saying, it's, it's then we can take advantage of, of those three pillars of emergent language, right? We can look for um, elaboration. We can look through correction. And uh, we can answer their questions because sometimes they're curious. Teacher, is it a fare that we pay or is it a fine that we pay when we get a ticket? And and we keep all of the vocabulary there. We put it in the classroom or on a whiteboard if we're in Zoom. 
where they can access it. And then we just keep coming back to it as much as possible and, and, and uh, no, let them know that it's expected that they'll be talking about this in their, uh, in their final email. So what I did for the final task was in pairs, they, they chose one of the issues that we were talking about and working together based on some of the, the models we looked at, they needed to write an email. Um, and the emails were spectacular. They were amazing. And none of it came from anything I told them. <laughs> they told me everything except the right. dictogloss. But even the dictogloss, Andrew, was just them noticing the different form, right? Good which example. one's a noun phrase, which one's a noun clause. Good example. I was going to ask, which company are we complaining to for the task or the final task? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was who they 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 decided. So if it was... Write a letter um, to Walmart. Yeah. So if it was uh, the, if it was a dishwasher, it was, well, which company, right? And, uh, and so on. So, but it was all them. It was all them choosing. That's an awesome example. I love it. I love it. I mean, that's, that's dogma. I think is in the minutiae, right? Is in the weeds, is in the, the day-to-day decisions and interaction. I bet Mike, cause you're such, you're flexible. If they had said, Hey, let's do this one first and let's not do this one. You would have been like, yeah, sure. Let's do that one first. No worries. Like just let them drive. And that's where we see engagement and motivation and all these things increase. But the end goal is in sight, you know? So whatever that goal is, if you're listening, keep that in mind. But how you get there, I think, um, is not irrelevant, but there are different paths to get to the same destination. And maybe that's what people view as challenging. What skills do I need? How do I... Enact, you mentioned a whole bunch of activities there, Mike, dictogloss, this, boarding, board skills, eliciting, all of these things. Leo, what, I, I'm putting you on the spot, but like, is there one or two, I don't want to say activities, but skills or things that teachers can enact in that if they're building a dogma toolbox from scratch, what are the one, two or three tools, the first tools that you would put in there? I was actually talking about this in our Instagram page the other day about active learning. Dogme is very much aligned with this Mm -hmm. idea of active learning. And I've been reading a lot about the differences between transfer versus learning. Um, And I feel like dogme is more about transfer than it is about learning. When we think about the way textbooks are designed, when we think about the way most language teacher training programs are designed, when we think about how most programs are designed, there's a lot of learning happening or in the sense that students are just acquiring or internalizing knowledge. But none of that, none of this process of acquiring information or even understanding, they can understand the present perfect, you know? Oh my but, God, can they? <laughs> but can they transfer that? Can they apply? So to me, transfer this application or transfer of learned knowledge, skills or behaviors to new contexts or situations, I think that's the essence yeah. Real of, world of application, good. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So I think what I what I don't see a lot of teachers, what I don't see a lot of, of of people doing in the classroom is is really focusing on on transferring. Because to me, mm-hmm. transfer is the best way for us to measure the effectiveness of learning. You can learn the present perfect, you can learn how to write persuasively, but can you transfer that? into different contexts can you tra- can you make those connections that you know a good teacher would expect students to to make i think this is undeniably a problem since transfer to me is the primary goal of of instruction we want our students to be able to transfer what they're learning identify patterns see things and then kind of take it from there and as you going back to your question andrew There are many different strategies in which we can, many different strategies that we can use to achieve this. Um, Something that I really like to to incorporate in in my classrooms, and I've been doing this lately, and I really like that, is something that I'm calling uh, clarification pauses. And it's a very simple technique that I use for um, fostering active listening. And whenever I'm talking or whenever we're talking about something important or defining a key concept or presenting something, I'm giving the students time to think about the information. And then after I wait, I ask if anyone needs to have anything clarified. And then they have to ask questions about what they've written so far. Um, Another thing that I do too is I ask them to do something called the minute paper. I ask them to like maybe open like a, a Google Doc or something 
And then I give them the topic or the question that I want them to address. And I say, okay, today we talked about um, comparing and contrasting, you know? Can you tell me many different, many different situations in which you would need to compare and contrast in your life? So what I'm doing is I'm getting them to transfer this kind of knowledge from one context to another context. Because what, the way they learn compare and contrast in the classroom based on this curriculum that we're using, um, it was just very specific. They were comparing and contrasting two restaurants. I don't see many students in my classroom who actually want to work in the... <laughs> hospitality industry maybe and who wants to talk about restaurants but a lot of them Unless are you're new on immigrants. uber eats or something like comparing yeah, do you want this exactly, or do you want this exactly but a lot mm -hmm. of them are new immigrants so what kind of how can they how can they extrapolate that into a different context right so mm -hmm. so they think about like oh you know what maybe comparing and contrasting two different apartments maybe comparing and contrasting two different programs that they want to take in university mm -hmm. those are things that i want them to do so those are two tools, but I wanted to talk about the other two challenges because I think when you two were talking, I think they naturally emerged just like in a very good Dogma ELT podcast. And the first one is, Mike was talking about flexibility, adaptability, but I think there's a challenge there that's for the teachers, but the challenge now for the teachers, how do you think we can motivate students who have, who may be, or who have been accustomed to a very structured linear approach to learning great question great that question is, yeah. uh i'm gonna go back to what you said about transference because i think that's i love it like that's that from in my opinion that's that's bang on and it's not our fault as teachers like that's just how we learned that's how education pretty much anywhere as far as i know functions if someone's crazy there's someone who talks don't forget language learning just education overall right there's, there's people who talk, there's people who listen, who memorize, who take notes, who write a test. Bob's your uncle, see you later. Thanks very much, right? That's kind of how education is structured. So as teachers, as we go through that system, high school, university, master's, PhD, whatever, maybe not PhD, but through you know lecture-based approach, and then we become teachers, I feel it would be natural to implement that kind of approach ourselves, right? So it's not our fault. But if you think about anything else that you sign up for, you, you sign up for a gym and you get a personal trainer, or you, you sign up f for a, a sewing class or whatever, you know, there's a goal in mind. There's a transference. You know, the trainer isn't focused probably on exactly what weights you lift or if you lift weights or what you do. Like that's part of it. But that would be like the activity in a class, right? Mm -hmm. What's the transference? What's the real world application and that depends because you probably or she would ask you at the beginning and do a needs analysis and say hey what's your goal what are you looking to you're looking to beef up you're looking to slim down you're here for cardio what are we doing and then make a plan mobility yeah, yeah mobility stretching whatever and then as you go through whatever stretches you do or weights you lift or don't lift the result the real world implication or the transference should be you feel more or start to look more like that sewing class it's not about i don't know anything about sewing i don't know why i gave that example but the type of needle or whatever and then you can either produce the thing or you can't um but then why do you want to do that in the first place so you can what what it, what is the sewing what does it mean to you right so in education i feel like it should be the same way with students who come from what was it how do you structure it from a non-traditional classroom environment well guess what we all do we all do if you went to school f through high school like i think in my opinion we all do so you just reason with them and say hey this is how people learn and i think most people in my experience have been open to that kind of conversation yes and it's just if you don't have that conversation where you run into into challenges i think let's take a quick break we'll be right back all right, and welcome to another interview with uh, Teacher Accelerator member and Jessica Diaz. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you for inviting me. When you have only one, 101 lessons, one-to-one, -one, there's a limit. You're going to have a limit of students. And even if you have like 20 students, that's too much. You're going to be overworked and overwhelmed. That's not something that I wanted. I'm not leaving school 
to be overworked with something that's going to leave me trapped again. That's, that's the thing of having your online course, because you can be at the beach selling your course. This being overworked took, took a toll on my mental health. So I was like, I want to have time to go to the gym, to spend time with my family, with my friends. And I wasn't able to do that. I wanted to help more students. And I also wanted to have more time for myself and also to develop myself as a professional because I wanted to read more. I wanted to take other courses. There's so much things uh, in the tap course. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew from Learn Your English. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Teacher Talking Time. You know, this podcast is just one resource that we have here at LYE to help you in your teacherpreneur journey. But I also wanted to speak about another one that we have, which is our Teacherpreneur Support Network, or TSN. TSN is a free community for emerging teacherpreneurs to plant the seeds of their businesses and watch it grow at their own pace. No rushing, no stress, but with some light accountability to help you achieve what you're actually capable of. Specifically within TSN, you'll find free support from myself, Mike, and Leo to ask specific questions pertinent to your specific situation. You also find a free course on setting up the pillars to grow your business sustainably and avoid key mistakes that we made in our journey over the years. You also get access to all of our live workshops and live events focused on course and business design. More importantly, TSN is a guide to help you set up the foundations of your sustainable online business if you're really serious about taking that step. And it's all free to help you get moving. So to see if TSN is a good fit for you, you can join the conversation with other teacherpreneurs and us by clicking the link in the show notes below or just join from our website, learnyourenglish.com to get started right away. That's learnyourenglish.com. Once enrolled over there on TSN, you'll be able to work with us directly for free and be given the guidance to set up your business the sustainable way. No magic pills, no quick fixes, no million dollar promises. Just practical foundations that help you build the balanced business you envision for yourself. Better yet, you'll be able to collaborate with others on the same path as you. You know, we like to say that it's almost impossible to move forward unless we surround ourselves with others who are on the same trajectory as us. So if you're serious about challenging yourself and you really want to take that next step, head over to TSN and get started. Once again, you can click the link in the show notes or just join from our website, learnyourenglish.com. We hope to see you over there. And now let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone. My name is Ajani. I'm a teacher in Brazil. You're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Olá, gente. Meu nome é Ediane, eu sou professora no Brasil. Você está ouvindo Teacher Talking Time, The Learn Your English Podcast. Yeah, and I, I think the, the, the C word is, is the big one there, Andrew. It's about conversation, and then maybe this, is, um, this speaks to a larger issue or, or um, tendency amongst a lot of teachers where um, the... the there's not enough conversation with the student, not enough dialogue about why things are done in their classroom. And I really liked uh, your, your point there about um, transfer, Leo, because even something as simple as, as at the end of the activity, at the end of the class, um, we can reflect and we can just even ask them, you know, what are some other ways? So what did we learn today? What are some other ways that you could use this same model to to talk about other things or in, or in another subject um, and it's it's within that that simple reflective task that we're encouraging students to notice what it is we're doing in the classroom and why it's important to them and it's not a mystery right like like people have studied motivation for ages uh, we know that um, the more you can see how something relates or improves your life. The, 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 the transformation, as, as Andrew was talking about, as long as you can see that, the more motivated you are to want to do more of it and to pursue it further. Um, and I think, unfortunately, the, there's been a lack of dialogue. And I think what we're encouraging is that for ask teachers to find opportunities 
for for dialogue um, and that starts with um, getting the students to provide the language it's 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 uh let's 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 write so so what you were talking about leo about the compare and contrast what that says to me is the teacher or the, the course designers have forgot about a major principle of additional language acquisition which is um agency and choice and how important it is so what i mean by that is we know like it's it's been around the literature for for decades now that students learn faster when they have more ownership over the types of topics they're asked to talk about because they're intrinsically interested in those topics and therefore exactly. you get more buy-in so we can so take my activity for example i didn't tell them what they had to write about i presented some different situations that connected to their lives we all like to complain about things and unfortunately we have to take the time to write emails um so but you can choose what topic you want to talk about because I want to know which one's most likely to occur in your life. Um, if I tell you what topic to write about, then that's not going to help you in the long run. It's not going to motivate you. And then also when by them choosing, I can then say, I can then ask them at the end of the activity or class, um, how do you think you could use this same sort of structure of email to write about this topic or write to your landlord or write to um your 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 sister-in-law that's been giving you a hard time right like and we have to make those connections visible because yeah if we don't have the dialogue leo we just assume that the students can make those connections yeah um and that's we need the problem to confirm with, that yeah, yeah yeah there's a lot of assumption involved in what we do and as you said if we can apply general transfer right like perhaps you know i usually give my kids the example of like why are you learning math? Well, you're learning problem-solving skills in math, so you can apply this to maybe if you have to calculate taxes, if you have to, like all of those things have, so, so you, can. you can, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And the same thing when you think about specific transfer, which is not something that we, we often consider, is like, for example, um, if, you're, if you're using an iPhone and if you start using an iPhone, I don't know, iPhone 5, you can still apply you can still transfer that to an, a, a newer version of an iPhone. So there is there's very specific transfer there. And there's, of course, as I said before, general transfer. So I agree, Mike. I think, I think the dialogue, I think the best way, the challenge of motivating learners who are more you know, accustomed to a, a linear, more structured approach is just to actually have a conversation with them. And going back to what Andrew said, identifying what their what their wins are what their wants what their interests and what their needs are and then kind of like teaching the classes from there because everything then becomes more and i think we forget this relevant everything becomes more relevant to um to students and i think this applies to course design which is something that we're going to be talking about um how we apply how can you implement dogma ot in an online program or or online teaching which is that like how can we make this course relevant to the audience that you're you're selling it to i mean with the non-traditional student example all i agree with everything of course i just find it like when would that come up <laughs> like things if it's the student's experience right and they have a goal so writing a letter of complaint, you know, assuming most everything that happens in the classroom leading up to that is more or less in tune with achieving that goal. I don't, you know, I don't think we walk into the class on the first day and say, okay, guys, forget everything you've ever learned. We don't need books. We're doing dogma. You just announce it. You just do it, right? Like, no, by the end of this course, you're going to be able to one, two, three, right? And as long as it appears to be in line with that goal, you know, it, it likely well. You might get some curiosity, you might get some questions, but Mike, that's a beautiful word to see. You know, conversation because conversation leads to trust, and with trust, there's mutual understanding, and there's that buy-in in in the sequence, right? And I've been asked this. I'm sure you, everyone, a teacher gets asked. Well, what about this grammar? What about this grammar? Why why don't we learn more grammar? Those questions, I get. I'm sure you do, and I'm happy to answer them. But I also ask a follow-up and just say, hey, what's more important? You know, what are you really trying to do here? What's your ultimate goal with the language for the next, for this course, for the next couple of weeks? 
and they answer whatever and then we start we continue to work towards towards that goal it's not you know the present perfect is is the is the weight i guess in the gym right but if you don't lift it properly or you don't you know whatever whatever what's what's the goal what do you what's the what's the transference so i think maybe if it's a question that comes up a lot maybe it's not obvious to the student you know the trajectory of the the sequence of events mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and i i think simple something as easy as this has worked quite well for me um so just like a little bit of of uh and, and it's not saying that we're going to just explicitly i'm going to use dogme or we're going to um focus on emergent language typically what i might say to them is i'll just ask them it's like uh, what do you think is more important knowing rules or or being able to communicate meaningfully and they might not know the word meaningfully so i'll be like oh being able to be understood and effectively and they'll be like oh being able to be understood it's like great so what we're going to do in this class is we're going to start we're always going to start with with meaning we're always going to start with trying to be understood trying to get our message across and then only then are we going to then look at some of the language some of the grammar that can help us make that meaning a little clearer and then we'll go back and we'll practice and that's that's what we're going to use in this class and then that's our focus and and hopefully we'll be able to um to to take not only what's in the book and all the assignments but also some of the great ideas from your partner and your partner and, and Vivian and and um, and Muhammad and all these great classmates that we have. So how does that sound? Does that sound like something you'd be okay with? And of course they say yes, because people are people. They want to be listened to. They want to be valued. And I think really, it, folks, it's, it's an honest-to-gosh conversation, right? Um, I'm not going out there throwing the textbook in the garbage, making a stance. I'm saying, I'm asking them, yeah what what do you struggle with none of them ever say i struggle with getting the present perfect right um they all say oh, i really like to be better at blank and i say you know what my approach to that is we we start with just trying to get that that blank across and we do whatever we can with what we have to do that and in the end um when we if there's something there i feel that i can teach you to help you do that better then we're going to look at that and we'll dip into the book when we need to do that and we'll, we'll go back and we'll keep practicing it. Um, and no student has ever said, no, that's a shitty idea. I'd rather go back and learn um, chapter one, present perfect, and explain all the rules behind that, right? Um, and I think most of the teachers listening um, know that that would probably not happen because they themselves are humans and we just want to be valued. We want to, Leo, we want to see, the students want to see the face validity of the course, right? They want to be able to look at the course outline Look at what you're going to do and say, huh, okay, yeah, I see. I see that what's presented on the outline, what's what's presented there in terms of outcomes is going to be reached. And how you get there, I don't care, but I can clearly see that there are going to be topics, tasks, and texts that connect to that. And through this approach of meaning first, you're you're going to get me there. And I trust you, right? And as Andrew said, when they come up with questions, you deal with the questions. And yeah, that's the flexibility of it. Which brings us to the last, perhaps, challenge of implementing Dogme LT, which is this idea of how can we assess learners when we are teaching in a more, you know, non-traditional way, which, which again, I, I can actually refer back to an experience that I had teaching in a very specific inst- higher education institution here in Toronto, where I basically said, you know what, I'm not going to follow any of the activity there was not activities it was just like a grammar grammar curriculum teach wish teach second conditional teach this i was like you know i'm not going to do any of this i'm going to do just i'm going to create tasks i'm going to use uh i'm going to use leo van leer's quote here he says when we design our lessons using activity as the focal unit language becomes a constituent alongside movement gesture experiment manipulation focusing planning judging and so on language is naturally supported by and supportive of social activity and that's what we did students felt like they could communicate they said to me for the first time leo we feel so comfortable we're communicating we feel like we can actually um do things in the language not just again the transfer that we were talking about, they could transfer that to different aspects of their lives. 
they were not just learning about the language. But then the problem I encountered when assessing the learners is that I had to use the assessment that the institution had provided. And of course, they were being assessed on sentence level knowledge, sentence, about, the language. knowledge yeah. about the language, sentence level quizzes, and so on and so forth. And of course, they failed miserably because we are not assessing them in terms of their performance. We're assessing them in terms of what they remember, rote learning, right? Yeah. So how Perfect. can we mitigate this? That's, I mean, that's, that's a good question too. I mean, like for me, it depends. Like, are we talking about the situation that you've just described where we work mm. in an institution where there is a curriculum and I'm determined to teach in a dogmatic fashion and then I encounter with the prescribed assessments, I have some, some challenges and admittedly, it's hard. <laughs> or in scenario two, am I a, a teacher doing my own thing, teacherpreneur, et cetera, where... I have a course or I have a process or I have whatever I have and I help students do one, two, three, so they can ABC and I need to assess them somehow. And in that case, you know, we've said this a lot. You guys say this a lot, like life is the assessment, right? Can they write the letter of complaint? Maybe if I had a, a course on that, I would actually have them send it to a real company, uh, pretending that they were a client and see, you know, what kind of response they get you guys came up with an activity with a restaurant reservation right where the assessment is does the restaurant confirm your reservation uh if they do you pass the assessment right so i think there are other things that we can do but you know i'm a big fan of reflection as you guys are so i know i have students reflect at the beginning of the process of where they are kind of check in ad hoc, you know, maybe halfway through, maybe every week, you know, you can use your judgment on that, reflect on what improvements they've seen, because playing part of assessing in the sense is improvement. So remember where you were when you started. We've been working on this for about four weeks now. Look back to what you wrote. Where do you feel you've come in terms of improvement? What areas do you still need to improve on and do it again at the end? And students can self-assess in that way and reflect that way to see concrete improvements that maybe we wouldn't even have thought of as the instructor. And obviously we would add our input as well. And then, you know, a real world implication transfer task that we probably do at the beginning, middle and end as well for them to use as the impetus to, to do that reflection. Um, that's one way to do it. Um, Mike, what do you think? No, I, I agree. And, and, and even some self-assessment thrown in there as well, right? Like, so how well do you think you can do these? So you'll see some programs that um, use um, can-do statements. I mean, obviously, in um, the European uh, community, the, the can-do statements are, are part of many, many programs as well. So you have that self-assessment element as well. I, I, I personally think that it does speak to this larger issue of, of what is assessment and um, when we're designing assessments, when institutions themselves are designing assessments, you know, they really should be thinking a little bit about um, what's the goal of those assessments? What, what are they actually assessing? Um, is it, how can, they, how can they assess in a way that assessment itself becomes learning? <laughs> so I know that Leo has done some great activities, um, an easy activity that comes to mind, and it's less dogma oriented, but an idea of, of assessment as education or as assessment as learning would be something like um, students creating the inquiry question for their own essay or project presentation. Maybe they would then um, give a little introduction to that presentation. Um, and uh, afterwards, then they would be, um, sorry, they would have, a, they would teach them about presentations and whatnot, then they would give the presentation um, then we would have them watch the presentation. They could assess themselves. We could assess them. Then we would have them do the exact same presentation again, but we would ask them to add more elements. Maybe we would ask them to add more things about referring to slides or visuals. Then they would do that. They would do that assessment again, only this time they would add those other elements. So you could do the same thing with essays. Maybe the first time they write their essay, they, they don't use any external sources. Um, and then we teach them how to include external sources. And then they rewrite their draft using some of that language, some of those forms related to that. And the, the assessment is more summative, right? It's, 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 a, it's a work in progress. And as they're building it, they're learning more things each time. And that's reinforcing 
not only what they've done in the past and how it was still relevant, but also how their 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 learning and classroom transfers into this other project that they're working on. And 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 again, I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of this getting away from the focus on formative assessment um, uh, and, and more of the summative and even ongoing assessment, right? Where informally in class we're doing we're doing tasks that are kind of keeping track of their their learning things like grammarizing texts reminds me a lot of in our early early days of doing this podcast we interviewed dr paula winky from michigan state university and uh, all she Mm. talks about is assessment and i'm just reading the notes here you know how programs can evaluate if they are assessing accurately why student reflection and self-assessment is crucial. I didn't read this before I said my answer, by the way. This is, this is good. Uh, the problem with measuring proficiency across different program levels. So are we assessing proficiency or are we assessing outcome or are we, I mean, this is a whole can of worms, but mm. yes, it's a, it's, it's, it's a big, big thing. I love checklists. I learned that from both of you. You know, I think, well, Mike, if I'm interpreting, you know, it's from summarizing what you've said is, an assessment isn't a gotcha moment. Mm, exactly. It's not a, I remember when I taught you this nine weeks ago and now you got it wrong. That's uh-huh, right. 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 It's a, it's a cumulative building. Here's a checklist. Remember you, we need all of these things. You do it. Do you have all of these things? If not, let's look at why. And it's a co-construction across mm-hmm. a period of time where they, like you said, get to do it a few different times, improving on certain elements, hopefully each time they do it. And I think Andrew just then I know Leo probably wants to wrap up and add to this is um is I think it goes back to what Leo's brought up earlier and what you touched on is this idea of a lot of institutions, a lot of I would argue a lot of language programs don't actually have a vision or guiding principles. And as a result, they don't have assessments that reflect those guiding principles. So what I mean by that is a program should should always ask itself. Like, like the teachers themselves, what do I want my students to be at the end of this class? Do I want them to be able, at the end of this course, do I want them to be able to um, uh, memorize this word list or like, you know, all the sub X amount, X sub lists from the AWL and, um, and write a very formulaic essay? Well, if that's what your goal is, then you're going to design assessments around that. Um, and they're going to look very different from a program that looks at, uh, no, I want the students to be able to communicate both um, academically, but also um, with their life outside of the program. I'm speaking from my own context, folks, I deal with a lot of EAP programs. But again, a lot of this isn't in their actual, a lot of these documents that you would see in, say, a business um, don't actually exist. Um, you might have a landing page of a program that says all the great things the program does, but in terms of internally, there's um, I, I don't actually know if a lot of programs actually have things like a mission statement, right? Um, or guiding principles that they adhere to to kind of create blank type of student. Um, and those are really important because your assessments are going to speak to that and also your what you do in the classroom is going to speak to that. So. Uh, if you, if I'm designing a teacher business and I'm designing my own course, I want to be very, very clear with what it is I want the students to do. What is that transformation that Andrew was talking about? Um, very clear with my guiding principles that are going to get me there. And then I'm going to create um, structure within my course that's going to facilitate that. And some of it will probably will be determined by me, but What's going to set me apart from other teachers is that I'm going to be very responsive and I'm going to be able to um, deal with this emergent language as it goes along because I know that it's more motivating for my students. And happy students means happy clientele, which means probably they're going to stick with me or they're going to tell their friends. And, and that's the secret sauce, right, Leo? Is being able to blend those two, course design with the practice and then, exactly. of course, the promotion. Yeah. Exactly. And I think this is what we need to be doing more is like we need to be exploring this is something that i've been i'm i've been grappling with this for a little while now is how can i make not just learning but transfer more visible in in lessons i'm thinking how can how can i explore my students 
transferring whatever they learned in this specific context to another context. Because, yeah, them memorizing, remembering when to use an adverb clause or a reduce adjective clause, that's great. That's great. But how does that translate into what they're going to be doing in their lives? What's the transfer here? You know, and I also find that if we're too explicit in our approach to teaching, I think what eventually happens is we have negative transfer because they eventually internalize too, mu too many of those rules and those, mm -hmm. the internalization of all these rules will somewhat affect learning something that is somewhat similar but different because they're still hanging on to those rules that they have learned. So I've, I've seen that a lot, Leo, when, when you see a lot of people who teach rules rather than teaching choices. Right. Right. So grammar's rules as opposed to grammar's rule. choice. This is yeah. what you say in this situation versus what are some other possibilities we could use in this situation? Yeah. And why would you choose one and not the other? Yeah. What does it mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically it. I think those are some of the, I think these are some of the most important challenges that I think teachers will have to take into consideration when they're thinking about implementing dogma. ELT in their teaching, in their business. And this is basically what we're trying to do is this is why we decided to um, host this Dog Me Days of Summer series because what we're really trying to do here is we're really trying to help teachers understand the difference between learning about language or just teaching in a very linear way versus using dogma ELT or even task-based language teaching, which are approaches that focus more on the transferability of what they're learning into different contexts, right? Making those connections, which we all expect them to make. And as I said, this should be the measure of effectiveness of learning in the classroom. Can they apply what they're learning here to, can they actually figure out what those different contexts might be and how they can actually apply um, in a, a, those, um, those skills, that knowledge or behavior, whatever. In a very simple, just to wrap it up, I think a very simple way for us to do this, and this is how I approach things, and I tried this with my, my, a group of students very recently, before writing a compare and contrast or teaching them how to compare and contrast, ask them, what do they need to do to do what they have to do? In order for them to compare and contrast, what do they need to do to compare and then contrast? So they can actually list some of the skills, some of the knowledge that they need to apply to do this. Once we identify what, basically breaking it down into the smaller smaller units of knowledge or smaller units mm -hmm. of, or smaller skills, whatever. Yeah. And then from there, you can think, okay, so we need to master this, 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 and that. And then once we master this, this, and that, then we can write the compare and contrast. But when we think about this, can we apply these skills to different areas or different contexts? What are those contexts? So I think that's the challenge. That's the challenge. But going back to our good friend, Bruce Lee, who is constantly mm -hmm. um, in our podcast, knowing is not enough. We must apply. Willing is not enough. We must do. So if you are if you are a language teacher, if you are trying to build your teaching program, if you're trying to build a business, remember this. Your students knowing about something is never going to be enough for them. They have to be able to apply. And that's the transformation that you need to offer when you're building this course. And willing to do this is not enough. You have and to. if you really don't know, the last thing I'll say is an easy, maybe a simple tip for that toolbox. If you really don't know where that transference is, just ask them. I would say ask your students at the That's beginning. That's the dialogue, right? That Mike two, was talking about the two or three most frequent places that you use English. Go. It doesn't have to be in speaking. It could be listening. It could be reading. Whatever. Get them to give you two or three of their most frequent interactions, and that becomes your transference target. Because anything that you do, it doesn't matter what, you will ask them to apply it to those two or three contexts, and then they can gauge their own improvement. That's it. 
Thanks for listening, and we will uh, see you at the ne- when we record the next episode. I think, right? Bruce Lee will be there. I hope Bruce yeah. Lee will be there in, <laughs> in spirit. spirit. Yes, yeah, in yeah. spirit. Thanks for listening, everyone, and don't forget to check out the notes because we are giving you more information about both our Teacherpreneur Support Network community. And if you think you are a little bit far ahead in your teacher entrepreneur journey, then you should definitely consider joining our TAP Teacher Accelerator program. But keep listening to the podcast. Don't forget to like, recommend. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube. We are pretty much everywhere here trying to change language, change language education, education in general, one kick at a time. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.